Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to abide in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Hello, my name is Paul Coulter and I'm Head of Ministry Operations in Living Leadership. This is the second in a series of five episodes exploring aspects of pastoral care, and I hope to help you have confidence in how your pastoral care can be gospel-shaped. I'm bringing you ideas that were introduced in a one-off episode of the podcast in January 2020, and they're also explored in more depth in our Gospel-Shaped Pastoral Care course, which runs online between March and June. But in this series of five podcast episodes, we're thinking about five M's in pastoral care, motivation, methods, means, margins, and mechanics. In the first episode, we thought about the importance of the compassion of the Father as our motivation. And in this second episode, we'll be thinking about the methods of pastoral care, drawing from the example of the Son. Christ is the ultimate example of humanity in all of its facets, the perfect, faithful human being. And as such, he is the ultimate example of pastoral care. His incarnation shows us the importance of walking with people in a self-emptying way, laying aside our own needs and desires. He challenges us to allow people to know us and, like him, to accompany them sacrificially in the dark and painful times of life entering those experiences with them, suffering with them as compassion requires, rather than urging them on from the sidelines. And of course, that kind of care for others is costly. I'm reminded as I record this of the words of C.S. Lewis in the book, The Four Loves, words which for me at least conjure an image that buried itself deep in my imagination as a teenager when I first read them. Let me read them to you. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Now, I know that there are some of us for whom that kind of vulnerability is difficult. We've had past experiences that have caused us to retreat within ourselves, perhaps very difficult and painful ones. But we need to learn as we grow in the compassion of the Father to follow the example of the Son in making ourselves vulnerable to others as we enter into relationship with them. And I worry sometimes that the professionalization of Christian ministry can work against this dynamic. Those who are pastors or ministers are expected to have a certain professionalism. We have titles and appearances and positions that set us at a distance from people. 
maybe even we're encouraged and and understandably so to make sure that we care well for ourselves. In fact, I think that's vital and it's a key issue for us in living leadership. But we mustn't allow that to become an excuse for self-protection because I'm convinced that there's no other method of faithful pastoral care than the one exemplified by Christ. In his classic book, Five Smooth Stones for Pastoral Work, Eugene Peterson writes this, Pastoral work is an assignment to share the experiences of suffering. And Peterson reminds us that writing cheerful graffiti on the rocks in the valley of deep shadows is no substitute for companionship with the person who must walk in the darkness. Writing cheerful graffiti, that might be the little card or WhatsApp message that we send, which of course can be so precious and valuable in itself, but it's no substitute for companionship. Or it might be the sermon that we preach from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, but it's no substitute for companionship. Pastoral care is hard and sacrificial work. Henri Nouwen spoke of the giver of pastoral care as a wounded healer. And in his book with that title, The Wounded Healer, he reminds us that no one can help anyone without becoming involved, without entering with his whole person into the painful situation, without taking the risk of becoming hurt, wounded, or even destroyed in the process. In another book, Nouwen describes this self-giving care as follows. He writes, after all has been said and done, what we have to offer is our authentic selves in relationship to others. What matters most, what transforms, is the influence of a humble, vulnerable witness to the truth. I'm with Nouwen in that. The pastoral caregiver doesn't pretend to have every answer or to be free from struggles herself. She's got the humility to admit her limitations and her own struggles. Indeed, witnessing to the truth of the gospel entails a readiness, as now and again writes, to offer your own faith experience and to make your doubts and hopes, failures and successes, loneliness and woundedness available to others as a context in which they can struggle with their own humanness and quest for meaning. So there's an appropriate degree of self-disclosure in pastoral care that sets it apart from more formalised approaches to helping others, such as counselling or psychotherapy. And this realisation that we're all wounded healers is really, really helpful because hopefully, like me, you recognise your own deficiencies and you think, I'm not sure I have anything to offer or to help anybody with. But you don't try and overcome all of your problems before you can help others. You come as a wounded healer, vulnerable and humble. Now, if our motivation in pastoral care flows from the compassion of the Father, our method, as we've said already, must follow the example of the Son. Entering into the experience of others in loving relationship, Jesus embodied humility and vulnerability. Just look at the Gospels, the way he approached people. The woman at the well, Nicodemus, Mary and Martha, when their brother Lazarus was dead, and so many other examples. If we desire to care for others, we must 
cultivate a loving relationship with them. And that requires sacrifice. I have found two authors particularly helpful in understanding what this kind of relationship entails. The first is Scott McKnight. In a 2015 blog post entitled The Four Elements of Love, McKnight argues that a loving relationship modelled after God's covenant love for us has four aspects. Firstly, commitment. In fact, he writes about, in a very American way, about a rugged commitment to the other person, which sticks with them through ups and downs. And in that commitment, the second point is presence. So the commitment is to spend time with the other person. And thirdly, advocacy. The commitment is to be for the person, genuinely being in their corner. And fourthly, the commitment has a direction. On the basis of this commitment to be with the other person and for the other person, we, in McKnight's words, both seek to become what God wants of us, that is, Christ-likeness. McKnight suggests that the order of this is important. We commit first, and then through presence, we demonstrate advocacy, being for the person, which then earns us the right to urge and challenge the other person to change towards Christ-likeness. And I love that emphasis on rugged commitment and consistent presence as the basis for advocacy and direction. We really need to learn that, especially when we're working in an age when people are so sensitive, so easily offended, and so likely to brand us as phobic or against them if we disagree with their principles. Well, we've got to work hard to demonstrate our commitment to be for people so that we can then lead them towards truth. The second author who's inspired my thinking is Paul Tripp, and in his hugely helpful book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, he calls the kind of loving commitment we need to seek God's goal of growth in faith and character in another person, he calls it a redemptive relationship. He challenges an approach to ministry that is not personal and relational. He says that often, in his words, we would prefer to lob grenades of truth into people's lives rather than lay down our lives for them. And adopting language from 1 Corinthians 13, Tripp warns that when we speak outside a loving relationship, we are resounding gong people in cymbal clanging relationships. As he writes, there's a whole lot of noise, but not much real change. Could that be you or me in our approach to people pastorally? Well, Tripp suggests that the starting point for effective interpersonal ministry is, and I quote, when we confess that we have taken relationships that belong to God and used them for our own selfish purposes. We're back here to the question of motivation, aren't we? If we're motivated by the compassion of God for people, then our desire for them and for ourselves will be to grow in Christ-likeness. And relationships are God's gift to enable us and others to grow towards God's goal of faith and Christ-like maturity. Tripp describes four aspects of love that promotes relationships where God's goals are central. Firstly, we enter the person's world. And the entry gate, he tells us, is not the circumstance of the problem, 
but the struggle the person is experiencing as a result of us. So we need to listen well to the person. I think that ties in with what we've said in the last episode about the limitations of empathy. Even when we can't empathise with the person's experience, we can listen and understand their struggle. Then secondly, we incarnate the love of Christ. We consciously put on the character of Christ as Colossians 3, 12 to 17 challenges us so that our actions as well as our words demonstrate him to the other person. And thirdly, we identify with the suffering. We open up to share our own story of suffering and we take the posture of a fellow sufferer in whom God's work is progressing. In taking this stance, we help direct the other person to Christ. And so having entered their world, incarnated the love of Christ in actions and words, identified with them, we accept them with agenda. We don't come to condemn. We don't come with a self-righteous spirit, but we accept the other person as they currently are, but with the agenda of seeking change towards Christ-likeness. Now, the resonances between McKnight and Tripp and their four points are obvious, and I find it helpful to draw their insights together in four steps in building pastoral relationships, which I think follow the pattern of Christ, and conveniently they rhyme. Going, knowing, showing, and growing. Like the good shepherd who goes out after the lost sheep, we go to the person. We enter their world as Jesus entered ours. We meet them in their natural context, on their terms, associating with them in their experience. We're ready to spend unhurried time with the person, getting to know and understand them, reminding them of the love of God for them. Then we know the person and we don't have Christ's unfailing supernatural insight into the inner life of the other person's thoughts and feelings. But we can seek insight from the spirit as we listen attentively to their story. We combine our listening to the person with focused prayer for them. Having gone to the person and known the person, we show the person love. We commit to be with them through the ups and downs of their experience. We stick with them when it's difficult and when sacrifice is entailed. We accept the person as we find them and we commit to their good. And in doing that, we open ourselves to the kind of betrayal and denial that Jesus experienced. We accept there is a risk, but we demonstrate love both in investing time and in committing to provide for their practical needs. And having gone and known and shown love, we grow with the person. Christ's goal in the lives of others was always that they might grow in knowledge of and faith in his Father. And as people who, unlike our Lord, are imperfect in our own faith, we commit to grow with those we care for into greater Christ-likeness. And importantly, the challenge we bring to others in their growth by sharing God's truth is grounded in the committed love we've already demonstrated to them that assures them that we are only interested in their good and does not make our continued support conditional on their response to the truths we share. We're in it for the long haul, not only if they respond and believe what we believe. Now, I think this Christ-shaped understanding of pastoral care is important 
Uh, and if you want to look at an example of it, of course, in Jesus' life, think of Judas, to whom Jesus went, whom he knew, to whom he showed love, whom he called to grow, but who rejected him, but Jesus still loved. And the Christ-shaped understanding reminds us, though, as we look to Jesus as our example, he is the ultimate caregiver and shepherd of people's souls. We care for others not because we enjoy their dependence on us, but because the love of Christ compels us. And we may be shepherds, but there's only one chief shepherd. The flock belongs to him. The pastoral caregiver understands herself to be Christ's servant for the sake of others, following his example as the one who said, I am among you as one who serves, Luke 22, 27. She helps people hear Christ's invitation to come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Pastoral care is hard, sacrificial work, but it's the path of discipleship as we walk in the footsteps of our Saviour. Importantly, Christ-like pastoral care also includes attention to the needs of our own souls, independence on our Father. From him, in his humanity, as we see him spending nights in prayer, resting, sleeping, eating, and spending time even with friends, we learn that our need to rest, refresh, and trust in our Father in prayerful dependence is no less than his. How dare we think that we're somehow greater than he was? And so a vibrant relationship with God, guarding our own hearts, Abiding in Christ through prayer and obedience to his word is essential to sustain us in our confidence that God can transform situations, that God can bring progress where there seems to be little hope, and that God will remain faithful to those for whom we care, even when we can't be with them, and even through death itself. Because you can't always be with the people you care for, but God is by his spirit. And you can't walk with them, no matter how much you love them, through death. But Christ will remain faithful to them through death itself. So I think it's worth referring to Jesus' words in John 15, which reveal five guiding principles for fruitfulness in pastoral work. First of all, verse 3, we're made clean by Jesus. Our salvation is a gift paid for by him. It's not dependent on ourselves. Christ's action for us is the starting point of our vocation to serve others. We're saved to serve. Verse 2, there is pruning for greater fruitfulness. The difficult experiences of life can lead to growth as our Father lovingly prunes us. And through our own struggles and losses, we learn how to care for others in need. Those things aren't wasted. We shouldn't be ashamed of them, but we should look for our Father's disciplining and teaching and guidance in them. Verse 5 tells us we're dependent on Christ. We can do nothing without him. Our whole lives are his. Every gift and resource we have is for his use. We can achieve nothing of eternal value except by continuing daily in relationship with him. And verses 7 to 10 remind us that word and prayer 
are essential. The word of Christ must abide in us. We have to internalize gospel truth so that we can share it with others. And we must surround our ministry in prayer in Jesus' name, according to God's will. And verses 12 to 13 call us to loving service, to learn from Christ how to love others and lay down our lives for them. That sustains us in our mission and our service. Of course, we need to take practical measures, don't we, to maintain this relationship with Christ, reading devotional materials, learning on an ongoing basis. But, but again, remember, this isn't just individual. The whole context of Jesus speaking in John 15 is to a group of disciples who are the nucleus of the church. We need healthy relationships. We need accountability within a supportive community, as well as the prayers of others. Jesus himself felt the need of the prayers of others. He asked his disciples to pray with him in the garden. And in the absence of their prayerful support, the angels came and ministered to him. We need to have rhythms of healthy, regular rest, good physical and emotional health, Sabbath discipline, a day off per week to rest and to acknowledge God's sovereignty. All of this is part of pastoral care in the example of Christ as we enter into loving relationships. So let's pray as we come to a close. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the shepherd of our souls. We praise you that you're the good shepherd who is always faithful and who gave yourself for us. Help us to learn from your example how to enter into loving relationships with others. May we do so in constant dependence upon you, abiding in you for fruitfulness. And in all this, may we bring great glory to your name. Amen. If you want to explore these issues further and develop your heart, skills and wisdom for pastoral care, we'd love to welcome you into our gospel-shaped pastoral care course, which is delivered online on Monday mornings from March to June. To find out more and to register for the next run of the course, please visit livingleadership.org slash pastoral care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope that what we've considered today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you were encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving a review on your podcast app to help others find us. If you want to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media platform at Living Leaders, or visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll also find more support and resources to help you abide in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. God bless.